Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Spiritual Charlotte, a safe space for all who seek. You are joining Kendall Heath and Debbie Chisholm as we journey into the heart of community for an authentic and candid exploration into the light. We are seekers just like you, holding a space for all of us, teachers and students together in community, conversation, and connection. Join us for an hour of heart-centered dialogue and discovery. Good morning, Spiritual Charlotte. This is Kendall, episode 44. And um, this Wednesday, we are going to be um, really looking at a body of work called the Urantia Book. And the Urantia Book is something that um, I discovered uh, years ago at the Wild Goose Festival, a couple years back anyway. Uh, Whenever I met our guest who's coming on today, Thomas Orjala, Thomas um, has been working with the Urantia book for decades, and um, he um, holds various board seats with the Urantia organization, um, focuses out in the Northwest region, and um, is president of some, of some of that activity and a board member of others and a counselor to others. And so there's people all over the world who are studying this, this work. So when I first saw the Urantia book there at the Wild Goose Festival and had a chance to talk with Thomas, um, I was really struck by the volume of the book. And I was struck by the, some of the truths that resonated with me in the text. And, and, and it is a masterpiece work that is considered a divine revelation. And so it reads um, kind of similar to how, you know, when you pick up the Holy Bible, um, you know, how you have uh, chapters and um, different, um, these kind of like very thin um, pages that go on and on and on. I mean, I, he'll tell us how many pages are in the work, but, but this collection of papers has this history that is something that um, I want to bring out to the public today. Uh, I ran into a lot of people who were in spiritual and religious community who had never come across the book or read the book, which was really shocking to me. And then I also ran into people who um, had come across the book, whether that was 10, 20 years ago. Um, But it's such a big volume that, you know, if you don't get in a community who is studying the book, I think that it's possible to... um, maybe decide that it's just a really large work that you might not feel capable of digesting completely on your own. And so, um, and Thomas may say, you know, well, that's, that's not necessarily true. But um, we're going to bring him into the conversation for him to really walk us through like a beginning understanding of this text. Um, I was able to order the book for free through the organization. Thomas uh, will certainly let us know if that's something that um, the organization still does in order to spread the book around to the public. I've also seen the book um, on like the shelves in Barnes and Noble. So with the book in front of me, coffee in hand, I am ready to dive in this morning with you guys um, and Thomas Orjala, who's going to really simplify some of the teachings in this book for us, for anybody interested in, uh, in the work. So um, let me cue him in. He's calling in from, I believe, Idaho. And um, I think that's the best way. Yep, that's how we'll go. We'll, let me start the show. Good morning, Thomas. Good morning, Kendall. How are you? I'm wonderful. Did did you have an opportunity to hear um, my very um, (laughs) uh, disoriented intro? (laughs) I did hear. You did great. Okay. 
Well, you know, this is a large this is a large work, and for a beginner like me, um, it's certainly um, you know a, a, a very large topic. So, um, I would love if you could help us just get started in the conversation about um, what the Urantia book is, how it came to be, why at its very most basic level is it important. Well, that's a good place to start because people always ask me, like, who wrote it, where did it come from, and how did it get here? And, you know, the short answer is that a conspiracy, you might say, of angelic-type beings and higher beings decided that our planet was kind of heading into an era where it was going to be difficult to navigate, right? A lot of big things would be happening. And they saw that we couldn't continue on this course with with the older knowledge that we had. We actually needed some updated knowledge, just like a computer needs an upgrade. Our planet was in need of an upgrade of, of truth. And they made contact with a group in Chicago in the 20s and 30s, and through a series of events, found a way to bring this information into print. And it was first printed in 1955. And since then, it's kind of just been in our hands. The the beings, the the contact commission, we call them, that brought these papers to us. There's, there's 196 papers or chapters. Um, they basically gave us some advice before they signed off, and they said, well, it's yours now. Go ahead and do the best you can with it because they're, they have permission to deliver this type of revelatory material to a planet. But after that, it's really up to us if we're going to use it or not use it. Or... Sorry, that, that's kind of the nutshell version of why it got here. Um, there's some details we can go into at some other time maybe about um, we, you know, exactly what transpired. But and, you know, people ask me sometimes, well, how do you know it's true? And I kind of say to them, how do you know anything is true? You know, there's we all have this kind of truth indicator in us, right, that helps us sort truth from error. And, and I found my 40-plus years of reading that the book just kind of stands on its own legs. It doesn't need to be validated by anything else. When you read it, you just it just rings true. So, um, so that's kind of... You know, part of why it got here, but but why it's here is is kind of obvious. As, as we watch the news and we see world events, we we see that we can't really manage a world with materialistic or secularistic ideas. We actually need a spiritual perspective. We, we need know. to see that we're all yeah, we're, you know, like we're all brothers and sisters, right? It, it appears that we're well, I'm an American, and you're a German, and you're a Russian. It appears like we're all different, but when you put your spiritual eyes on, we're all children of the same creator, right? The same force in the universe brought us here and is guiding us back home, you might say. So so once you put the spiritual eyes on, then all of a sudden we have no reason to fight. We have no reason to fear. Um and we can actually start to take steps to create a planet that works for everybody. Without without an right. advanced spiritual perspective, you know, you can kind of see, just look at the news. You see what you get without that. And, mm-hmm. and when, yeah. you book, you, when you read the book, you start to see why we got this way. Because normal planets don't really struggle so much. Most planets have kind of moved on to an age of peace and advanced art and science and religion and philosophy, whereas our planet, for some reason, which they explain in the book, is just struggling. We're just, we just can't seem to keep it going. We just advance a little bit and we fall on our face. We advance a little bit and we blow ourselves up. And, and, and I, I believe that the only way out of this predicament is higher spiritual truth, is this upgrade, this upgrade of higher consciousness. And we can we can create peace committees and 
we can protest till we're blue in the face, but until the people themselves actually have a broader, more spiritualized perspective, um, we're just not going to we're not going to have any lasting peace as long as there's nation states and us and them. So I think the ranch book was given to us just to say, hey, here's a guidebook. I, I tend to call it an instruction manual for our planet, which, by the way, Urantia is the name that angels and other beings call our world. So when we talk about the Urantia book, it's a, it's about our planet, Urantia, and it's for our planet. It's, you know, one, one thing mm-hmm. is... One thing that's kind of key in understanding the ranch book is that it says that when the part is healthy, the whole becomes healthy, right? And we're all parts of the whole, right? And if we, the parts, are mistaught or ignorant or confused or whatever, it, the whole, the whole of humanity suffers because of that. But if we're like healthy, vibrant, have a broad spiritual understanding, a, a loving nature, then all humanity benefits from it. And it's almost like the goal of the game is to get as many people enlightened, if you will, as possible. <laughs> and then things will just automatically fall into place because you can't really legislate morals, right? You can't pass laws forcing people to be good. People will only be good when they are inspired to be good, you know, when they've finally got, when they've gotten tired of suffering and banging their head against the wall. And, you know, how many refugees do we need before we realize something's wrong? You know, how many disasters do we have to have? How many world wars? You know. Right. Well, you know, um, Obviously, um, the evidence is, is in front of us. I mean, the evidence is in front of us that we are living in a world of chaos and that, and, and at the same time, you know, you and I work in spiritual community and we see that there are people that are trying to pioneer um, um, the light up to the forefront. They're trying to um, do the work within themselves and within the work that they do in community and and, and then on the other hand, there's, you know, even I can look in my own neighborhood and see that there's people that just aren't anywhere near that type of, of consciousness. And so, and of course the news, you mentioned the news, I mean, from the shootings to the whatever, I mean, obviously this is a time of, of great peril. Um, so I have to say that whenever I met you, you know, as with anything, um, even though I'm a very open person, you know, I came to the book with a healthy skepticism. And something that, real, something that really brought clarity to me was, was something that you kind of just skimmed over, but I would love, since we're having kind of an introductory conversation about it, I would love to go back and look at this. Um, as you explained to me, you know, the time period um, and the environment in which the papers came through and who they came through, I believe it was in Chicago, correct me if I'm wrong, but that particular piece of the story um, through the man who was channeling the papers was important to me in getting like a foundational understanding of, of, of the legitimacy of the work. So can can we actually revisit that part of the history? Sure. Yeah, there's um, slight variations on the understanding of it because so much of it was kind of kept quiet um, as the early people that were around, um, they're, they're known as the Forum. It was a group of people in Chicago, about 75, who knew of this book, that the information that was coming in, it was it was before it was published. And um, the story is, is that there was a person, possibly a patient of Dr. Sadler's, we're not really clear on that either, and we're not clear if it's male or female, that um, would speak in their sleep. We'll say it's a he, but he would speak in his sleep. And when he was in that state, he couldn't be awoken. And when he woke up, he didn't remember anything that he said or that he was even speaking in his sleep. 
And somewhere in the Rancher book, they say that this the person through which these papers came was selected because he had a advanced what they call thought adjuster, which is a uh, kind of we, we can get into that later. But he had a you might say a good a good wiring system that that these angelic and higher beings were able to use. They were able to put him in this state where they could speak through him, but um, he had no knowledge or. I guess I guess what I like about the, this story is that is that he wasn't half awake. He had no way to actually flavor the information. They didn't want it to be at all um, changed by a human concept or something that was coming through. They actually wanted to say it exactly as they wanted to say it, very precisely. And so they were able to do that. And over a series of years, all these papers were transcribed and the forum had a chance. They would meet on Sundays at Dr. Sadler's house and they would read whatever the latest paper was that was in and they, they'd have an opportunity to ask questions, write down questions. And there was some process, which I'm not really clear about, but um, one I've heard is that these questions would get put in a drawer with the papers and the paper would reappear later, slightly edited to make it easier for humans to understand uh, the contact group they didn't they didn't want to speak over our heads they didn't want to give us something that we couldn't understand so they went through this process to make sure that that um we'd be able to understand it which i really appreciate that they did that but it kept me absolutely yeah, I hear, um, I, hear, you know, <laughs> I hear somebody wants to be lo- in the conversation or out of it. <laughs> oh, I locked them in the back room so they wouldn't make any noise, and once they did, would make noise, so I let them out. Anyway. Um, and so so what what I appreciate about it, Thomas, is that it, it definitely, um, the fact that, that there was a divine channeling and then a, and then a a further simplifying of the material because obviously if this is coming from high 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 consciousness it has to be diluted down for us here in order that we can process just the breadth yes. of information right um, oh, and of yeah. course, that makes us sound like that makes us sound like we're a little stupid. Um, but of course, Urantia kind of explains on the consciousness scale, we're we're not that far up there, are we? <laughs> we're kind of at the low end of the totem pole. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> right. Well, when when you think um, about those, some of the papers in the book come from the highest levels of the universe, from paradise, you know, where God is, and they had to translate this down through this super universe level down to this local universe level. You know, you can kind of see it getting bumped down and bumped down and bumped down until it came into English, which is probably just a gross distortion of what they really wanted to, you know, portray. But we can only understand things in these kind of human concepts. So they had to, you know, just bring it all the way down to our level with the hope that and we yet, would. And then they up. Hmm? Well, and yet, and yet, uh, uh, if I remember from the text, it, it definitely also talks about that even though we are at this level, that um, that there's just this beautiful divine appointment to even being here um, in oh, this project yeah. of, right? Can you talk a little bit about oh, that? Oh yeah, yeah. The, your book paints with such a big brush. It's it's like. <clears throat> Even though we're these lowly humans on this back backwater planet, <laughs> that's how I see us. Um, <laughs> are they 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 like they like show us who, what our real potential is? That we live forever if we choose to live forever, I and mean, if we choose to do God's will, we'll live forever. And we just go from world to world to world, from minor sector to major sector to local universe to super universe. To, you know, we just spend eternity just evolving into higher and higher beings. So this is just the starting point. They say material worlds, well, they, they, they say they're the sex planet. That's where beings are created, right? We have children. Those children have infinite potential of, you know, living forever, right? And this is where we start. And where we go is just up to us. We just... And so that's the real reassuring thing about reading this book is just to have a, a vision of where we actually go after this world. I mean, when I was a kid, I was 
I was raised in a you know a Protestant church, and I I thought, well, okay, there's a heaven, and you get a, a harp or something. It's kind of vague, you know. But and St. Peter's going to check you out when you get, you know. It's like it was really vague. It was like, uh, is this all the details we have? Your answer book is just nothing but details. It's just any any question you can imagine about the afterlife or where we came from. It's all in the Arantia book. It's just all there. So. So, Thomas, you know, I, I can hear those who are hearing about this for the first time. I can hear the skepticism. I can hear the, mm-hmm. the this sounds like we're going into alien conversation. For some people, that's a really, a, you know, for some people, that's a really intriguing, comfortable conversation. For other people, it's like absolutely not. Um, um, for me, there was already an understanding of uh, multiple, multiple, multiple lives and consciousnesses and universes and just that we are just one little speck in the whole scheme of things. Um, but, you know, and it does talk about uh, some things about religion, and it does talk about the life of Jesus, which is a very interesting thing, and it does talk about some things that I think people can find um, – more relatable that person that's not out in the cosmos yet in their spiritual understanding there's a lot of stuff that is right here with us um even if you're in like a traditional um spiritual paradigm i think that that's in the urantia book too but i bring Mm -hmm. that up to say um number one uh, uh that i hope the listeners will hang on because this is truly a journey um where the more open you can hear the the more you will find that this this is like truly a gem of information. But I also want them to hear from your perspective whenever you found the book, um, how it changed your life. Because I think those mm. personal stories are so so powerful. Yeah. Well, I was raised in Minnesota and you know, went to church, Sunday school and everything and I was pretty frustrated. I I kept thinking, well, if God's omnipotent and omnipresent, like, where is he? You know, it's like, usually when something's everywhere, you can see it. But I couldn't see God. I just couldn't see spirit. I couldn't, you know, I go to church and I was just like, well, we're singing hymns and okay. And the good thing that going to church gave me, though, was it gave me the knowledge that there was God. And I struggled. Do I believe in God or not believe? And finally I decided I believe in God. You know, I got I got that far. And... When I graduated, I just wanted to get out. I just wanted to get out of Dodge. I just wanted to leave home, and I moved to Minneapolis. and And next door was some hippies living in this house, and I I kind of got to know them. And I go over there, and, and something about their the way they were. They were gentle and soft, and they weren't rowdy and kind of ornery like these beer drinking guys I lived with and the house I was in. And um, I just kind of decided at that point when I met them that they had something that I wanted. You know, there's something about that that I liked. And so I found myself in San Francisco not too long after. Um, I think it was in 69 I went out there. and It was kind of after the summer of love, and I wound up on Haight Street. And and there was every guru you can imagine there. Every spiritual teacher had flocked to San Francisco to take advantage of all these seekers that were there, these interesting young people that showed up and I, I went to everything. I, I, I danced with the Hare Krishnas and Sufi Sam and, you know, Yogi Bhajan. They were, they were all there. Swami Satchitananda. Always, you know, I went to all that stuff looking for some answers. Mm-hmm. I was really, you know, I enjoyed it all, but, but I just, I, I didn't get what I was looking for. You know, everybody everybody was enjoying it. I mean, I, I did not enjoy it. But, but there was this fellow named Arthur that would kind of hang around our flat, and he had this big blue book, and we'd get into these philosophical conversations, and Arthur would open his book and read something. And I remember I kind of would roll my eyes a little bit, like, Arthur, what on earth are you talking about? <clears throat> because it was just a little bit different, right? It wasn't the usual you know, vernacular of the hippie culture. And one day he said something. I don't know what he said, but I said, Arthur, can I look at your book? 
So, yeah, sure. So I opened it up and, you know, I'm looking at I'm reading a couple of things. And, wow, this is interesting. This is articulate. This is, wow, somebody intelligent wrote this. I'm just kind of having this conversation in my head. And as I'm reading it, um, this is the only time this ever happened to me in my life. As I'm reading it, the pages just kind of disappear, right? And they turn into this liquid yellow golden light that's just flooding into my soul. I thought, oh, my God, what's this? <clears throat> you know, I never had that type of experience before. <laughs> just like bathing me in light. And uh, I thought, wow, I don't know what this book is, but I'm going to go get one. So I went down and bought a copy, and that was kind of the beginning of my adventure in Urantia land because, again, back then, the book was really rare. It only been out 14 years or something like that, and very few people knew about it. And for years, I never met another reader. I was just kind of plugging away on my own in this big volume. Eventually, I started a study group, and really kind of dived into the book and um, then I and all of us that read the Arantia book have this moment it's kind of like you know it kind of occurs like a really great book for a while kind of, some parts are chewy some are just really wonderful and easy to read and a lot of it's really I mean, it's all really inspiring but you kind of come to a point where you say oh my god this isn't a book this is like an epical revelation of higher truths given to our planet by these beings that really care about us. And then it kind of takes on this whole new meaning because you realize, oh my gosh, this is like the, you know, like the golden crown, you know, the thing that the jewel that they, so many stories talk about the golden, you know, the, sell everything you have to go buy the field that has the, the gems at, right? So, so, and I didn't come to that point until about five years into the book because I was I wasn't reading a lot at the beginning. I just kind of read a little bit, put it down, read a little bit, put it down. And then one day I read something. And I thought, Oh my goodness, <clears throat> I've got I've got something really great in my hands. And uh, so I've been very very involved in it ever since. And I've studied groups and conferences, and, and I think. I think what maybe your listeners are looking for is, you know, well, what what would this book do for me? You know, it's like it's a lot of book, it's two thousand pages, and and I can only say what it did for me, which was clarify all my confusion about God, divinity, deity, history, future life, whatever. It just clarified all that, it kind of answered all those questions, like why are we here? You know, what what is human? What is it to be a human being? Like, how did we show up? You know, was it just a biological accident or was this by design or, you know, all that, all that stuff got answered. And I I kind of feel at home in the universe now. I don't have Mm. always hanging. I don't have all these hanging questions. Like when I was a kid growing up in the church, I just, I had so many questions. I just, couldn't, you know, I just didn't have any way to get them answered, so. And, well, you, you, know, bring I, up, you, you, you bring up, you bring up a, a gorgeous point, Thomas, because when I talk to people a lot, that people who are lost uh, or who feel like they are struggling, something that I identify over and over again is that on a very deep level, it seems to me, and and the, and people will language this out of their own mouths, that they, they don't even feel comfortable in their own skin. They don't mm. know why they're here. They, they they don't even know if they want to be here. And, mm. um, and that discomfort to me is very much related to a much, much, much larger and longer journey of of a being that is currently inside flesh here on this planet. Um, and so, you know, I could see this book um, in some ways almost having the power to provide you enough clarity that it, it could sort of save your life. It could sort of make it manageable 
and even enjoyable to be here and take advantage of this opportunity that is that is life here now. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Yeah, what yeah, what a gift we have, you know. It's like some people look at their life as like, Oh, this is annoying, I have to work, I'm struggling, I can't pay my bills and you know, whatever it is, right? People life is full of problems. But but um from the Rancher Book perspective, we're really I mean the the earth life you only get one, right? You only get one human experience. And then you go, you start your uh, spiritual career, right? Or this semi-spiritual. It's kind of an intervening phase between material and the part where you're truly a spirit being. So, which is a very long phase, by the way. It's probably trillions of years. But, but we only get this 80 years or so here. And why not just make the best of it? Just, just see it as this grand adventure. You get to be a human being. And, there's so much to do on a planet like this, and there's so much needs. There's so many, so many places to put your energy. And I, I've come to see it as I have already begun my spiritual, eternal spiritual adventure. Right? You know, I've I've kind of accepted my orders. Right? <laughs> and mm. you know, you know, I'm not beginning my journey, my eternal journey. It's not like. <clears throat> I'm waiting for my earth journey to end. You know, oh boy, it's winding down. I'm like cranking up my spiritual life, which is going to go on forever. So I've kind of shifted my focus from just getting by in life to um, doing things that enhance my journey, right? That prepare me for the next world, which is coming up pretty soon, right? And it's it's, it's so, easier to live life where you have something to look forward to, where you're moving towards something than just putting up with something. Right. right. Tell tell me how. Um, so obviously we have these mainline religions that have these sacred text text and these um, and these texts in some circles are like the one and only book, you know. Um, and anything outside of the book is going to be like um, a heresy or something to be feared. Or um, so how do how do we um, how do we reconcile like the Urantia papers with something like the Holy Bible or um, the Koran or the whatever? I mean, where does it all fall? Oh, good question. You know, it's natural in the evolution of a planet. We could become from cavemen, basically, and we, you know, we start out with knowing nothing, and we eventually we evolve our religions and our ideas. But one, one way to look at it is that there's there's two types of religion, according to the Rancho book. There's evolved religion, which is what humans kind of come up with, like, oh, that bush over there, that must be worse. It's shaking. It's probably spirit. You know, I mean, whatever. Primitives didn't know. They just had to make it up, right? There's, they, they knew there was something, a ghost environment or something. So they make up these ideas, which kind of is how religion evolved. And then there was another type of religion, which is called revelatory religion. It's like a being would appear in the old days, a prophet of some sort, that actually came with advanced knowledge of how things are on higher levels, right? And this person would teach the people, and after they got done stoning them, they'd you know, go to the heretic, and, you know, then they'd, then, you know, eventually they'd say, oh, you know, I think Joshua was right there, by golly, he did have a good point. And, they, you know, and, and some of this revelatory truth would creep into the evolutionary ideas, right, and alter the evolutionary ideas and make them better. And so the purpose of revelation is to improve the existing religions. And so I, I would say the existing religions on our planet all could stand some improvement, right? And oh. revelation is kind of a technique of helping to sift the truth from the error, right? All religions have a certain amount of truth, but they also have a certain amount of error or not 100% oh. accurate, right? They're, they're maybe missed the mark a little bit be generous you know and and the Rancher book also says that all revelations will sooner or later be contaminated by evolutionary thinking right in other words um 
and, and I see the Urantia book as an epical revelation. It claims to be the fifth epical revelation. And I, I've watched myself and I've watched other people read this book and develop their own personal philosophy and their own inner religious life. And some of them stay in their church and some of them just give up on it or they stay in their religion. Some some don't. It's really up to the person, right, if they want to continue working in a church community or whatever. But, but over time, these... Um, you just start to see that um, that you, that it really boils down to what you want to believe, right? It's like instead of seeing, how can I say it better? Um, it's like our, our ability to incorporate higher truth is really the yardstick by which we can be measured, right? If if we can integrate the purest of pure truths, it's just like a computer program. If you put faulty information in the computer, it's just not going to run well, right? You get the best the best program you can get, the best information, it'll just run cleaner and run, go farther. And so I, I see revelatory religion as, as a way to not um, compete with evolutionary thought, but just to improve it, right? I mean, every time you get a, a new idea, you don't throw away all your other ideas. You just say, well, I think that's kind of, I'm going to keep that idea. That's, hmm, yeah, it's good. So the Rancher book, I should say, is not a religion, just so people are clear about that. It has religious concepts in it or spiritual concepts, but they're really given to us to uplift all religions. It says in the book, it says, please do not make another religion. We have so, we have so many religions now. We don't need more religions. Right. Oh, my gosh. Yes. But religions, yes. religions just need higher truth, you know. Oh, that is, I don't think I'm ever, I'm never going to forget that you said that. That is such a big, big statement. Oh. Uh, so, so what I'm hearing you say is that there is, that with all these revelations that come come through, and 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 the Urantia book is considered the fifth. You said the fifth written revelation. Uh, is that the revelation. case or no? Well, okay. they call it the fifth wanna... epical revelation. Um, but by epical, it means it's big enough to change the whole world. Um, uh-huh. You know, and any of us can get our own auto revelation or personal insights or ahas, or right? We we can we can. That happens to us. It might happen to the priest. It might happen to our, the guru of the day. Or, you know, whatever. We, we, you know, revelations come in all shapes and sizes, you know, and have various degrees of impact depending on timing and intent and everything. But, but epical revelations are really quite profound. And our planet has had five of them. The first one was about 300,000 years ago. And it was the first revelation. Our planet had been, humans appeared on the, on the planet about a million years ago, according to the Rancher book, almost a million. And, um, and it was really quite primitive, quite savage, right? Um, the way the tribes were battle each other. And your lifespan was probably in the 30s or maybe 40, if you lived to 40, you were an old man. And Prince Caligastia came, and he was an invisible being, but he came with 100 volunteers from our local system world. And their purpose was just to set up primitive primitive institutions like health and sanitation and education, tribal relations, you know, simple government. And again, they came in an era where people were just, it was just savage. You know, it was a very difficult time. There wasn't anything like we could imagine now. And um, they did good for a while, but unfortunately... Uh, that that effort failed, um, which I can explain a little bit why it failed later. And the second epical revelation was Adam and Eve. And every planet gets an Adam and Eve. And what they are is they're beings from our system world that are specially uh, evolved to come to worlds like ours at a, at a point where the biologic evolution has has kind of maxed out you know because you, you have these early races there's the blue race and the yellow race the green race and the orange race and there's all these different races uh, most planets have six colored races and 
and at some point you you, know, you mix a blue and a green together you, you know you get you get some new potentials but eventually it gets to where like no matter who breeds with who there is no new potential left and that signals the time for Adam and Eve these biologic uplifters to come and so our Adam and Eve appeared and um in the Mesopotamia um 38,000 years ago and there was a garden there was being there was beings left over on the planet from the days of Telegastius time that knew Adam and Eve would come they knew how the thing worked and they did set up a garden it's very beautiful and Adam and Eve came here and biologically they were eight feet tall glowed violet even the clothes on you could see this violet glow <clears throat> they were highly advanced and you know very intelligent biologically superior and they, they had a two twofold purpose one was to uplift us physically biologically because our humans were like four feet tall and pretty didn't live very long right and also left us up spiritually. They brought spiritual teachings and horticulture and all kinds of different things that would help our planet advance to the next level. And the goal was to, in the garden, to create a community of about a million pure violet offspring, right? They would reproduce and those about a million. And then they would disperse into humanity. This is how it's done on every planet. And when these primitives would, you know, have children with eight foot tall violet people, their kids would start getting taller and they kids would start getting brighter and eventually um the world would be populated with much healthier, brighter, taller, saner people that more intelligent is what's really important, that could hopefully be healthy, withstand viruses and that and be intelligent enough to manage and, you know, evolve the planet into a very advanced planet. Unfortunately, um, the Bible kind of points to the fall of the garden, mentions it briefly, but uh, that also defaulted. So mm. so, so we had two defaults. Uh, Adam and Eve left the planet. About a half million of the violet children had been created at that time. So we got some of the Adamic blood and it did improve our stocks considerably. We're six feet tall now, we're not four feet tall. And we're a lot smarter than our than the primitives were, but we didn't get as much as we we should have or we could have. And the third epical revelation was um, um Melchizedek. He came uh, about 4,000 years ago, he just appeared one day in a herder's tent, and he was here about 90 years as a full-grown human, and he just disappeared one day, just as unceremoniously. And his mission was to keep the truth that there was only one God alive, because the tribes back then kept wanting to go back to this, oh, there's a, this is there's this God, and there's that God, and every, every other thing's a God, Right. Which was kind of a backward step in in spiritual evolution, religious thinking, and he also knew that our planet was about to have a visitor. He didn't know when, but um, the creator son of our local universe, and a local universe is about ten million planets, had chosen our planet to come on his seventh and final bestowal mission. And I haven't explained what a creator son is yet, but a creator son is a being that goes out into this section of uncharted space and with the universe mother spirit sets up shop and said, there's no life here, but there will be. And they create the angels and the life carriers and all these beings that put into motion um, life forming on these planets and everything that that, that entails. And, and our creator son um, had to do his seventh and final bestowal. And each each one he, he does is as a lower order of being. He starts out at the top and appears and lives a life of one of these creatures, you know, these beings that he's created. But the final one, the most difficult one, is to come, come down as a human, which is kind of like the polar opposite of where he's at, right? So... Um, so Melchizedek set the stage for Jesus to come. Mm. Hmm. 
people yeah, and you, and you, well, 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 it's because you know it's like um, I'm having like two awarenesses. One is that this is where you really start getting into the juice of um, ha- <laughs> I don't know the beginning of everything. Um, second is that I'm also like cannot believe there's only 15 minutes left of the show because. Um, mm. We just we have not even dipped a toe in, right? So, but but let's mm. keep going at least at least to this to this fifth revelation because um, mm. because this part of the book really hit really hit me. So so Melchizedek uh, sets the way for Jesus to come. Am I of the correct mm. understanding that Jesus is, in actuality is the Archangel Michael or no? Well. It depends what you believe the Archangel Michael is. Um, And I am not probably a good authority on that because I haven't read a lot of the Archangel Michael material, but I I think Mm -hmm. ultimately they're one and the same, but what people say the Archangel Michael is might not be exactly what the Orange Book would say Jesus is, if you know what I mean. Um, Okay, okay. So, and and in Melchizedek, there's a lot of Melchizedek stuff out there, but in the Ranch book, we actually get to see a a detailed accounting of who this, there's actually, the the Melchizedeks are an order of being that we'll run into in the next world. I kind of see them as spiritual professors and teachers, right? And this Mashaventa Melchizedek is the one who volunteered to come to our planet just to keep the, the light of truth alive. Michael could get here. We call him Michael or Jesus, but um, so yeah, the, we can spend a whole segment just talking about the life of Jesus and who he was. Because from the Christian point of view, we see, oh, this Jesus showed up and he said, "If you've seen me, you've seen the Father." And you know, there's these things that we understand it kind of, but not in the details. That would be nice. And in the Ranch book, we get all the background, the backstory, like. Who was this Michael's son, and why did he come here, and what was his mission? And, and Jesus said when he was here, I have sheep that are not of this flock. So he he came to our world, but, but all the worlds of his universe, and there's millions of planets in his local universe, were kind of watching this whole thing unfold, like closed-circuit TV. There's these beings called reflectivity spirits and beings that can actually bounce things around the universe. And so... <laughs> The whole episode is being watched, you might say, on live TV by millions of planets as he lived out his life on our planet. So, mm. but again, that's a whole other story. And so that leads up to the and and that and Jesus is the fourth epical revelation, right? And and you know, there's enough truth in Christianity to keep it a lot, keep this thing alive forever. There's also a lot of confusion in Christianity, maybe some misunderstanding. And so I think that's why we were given the fifth epical revelation in the Urantia book is to clarify the confusion around the fourth, like who was Jesus and what did he really teach and did Christianity get get its focus off like talking about Jesus so much rather than actually just sharing his life and teachings, which is really what he came to leave us, not not the story of how we live, but actually how we live, you know, just more more about how we can live like him and be like him the difference that will make. Mm. So, 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 so looking at, looking at all that, looking at that as just like not even the toe in of the overview, right? (laughs) We're just (laughs) doing our best here. (laughs) We're, we're doing our best with the hour that we have. Um, I guess, I guess let me, let me ask one question and see if it can be answered um, in a in a brief way, um, and then we'll pick an we'll pick an ending point for this episode, knowing that um, that I believe that we may want to do more episodes to really hash, hash this thing out a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But if I am a spiritual person and I'm not necessarily a, um, I don't identify with Jesus or Christianity. Um, and maybe I'm a Buddhist, or maybe I'm a Hindu, or maybe I'm a nothing. Um, um, how do I digest um, this part of the book? Like, because is Buddha mentioned? Is Krishna mentioned? What happens to all the other saints 
how do I do this if I don't, if Christian orientation or Jesus orientation is not uh, on my radar? Well, one thing which is great about the Urantia book is it, it doesn't discount any religions, right? It, there's a section where it talks about all the world's religions, and it it, it follows our whole history, like um, Hebraic history. It talks about the Egyptians, like the, the, the contributions that different beings made. It talks about Buddhism and Taoism, Confucianism. It, it describes all these in quite a bit of detail. Because the, the Rancho Book's goal is to give us this large religious perspective, like how did we get to be this way? Like who were these different you know, beings in the past and what were their teachings and, and what was their contribution to humanity's struggle for truth, right? And there's, you know, it's a, it's a long journey. And the, the, the third section of the book is, is the history of Urantia. It's the history of our planet. And so all this evolution of our religious thinking is all covered in there in great detail. So I, I, think, I think one thing about Christianity Urantia book and that, that whole question you have is that uh, each revelation has to build upon the last one. You can't, like, skip a step. Mm. And Christianity, you know, Jesus was an epical revelation, according to the Rancher book, and which kind of makes it stand out. Like, the teachings of Jesus are so timeless and so superb. And unfortunately, some of them lost or misinterpreted. But in the Rancher book, we actually get those teachings back and and more. And all, all religions benefit from truth right they they all and it doesn't matter if you have a christian background never never want to step foot in the church it doesn't really matter because when you lay your eyes on some really rich truth you know it's just like i don't care where this came from it's just you know it's just like it's so it's so timeless and that that's what's surprising about the ranch book people when they actually sit down and read it and kind of get all their notions or, well, it could be this or it could be that set aside, you're just you're just treated to this smorgasbord of incredible information, expansive, inspiring, uplifting, encouraging, fulfilling. You just feel like you're just getting fed when you read it. And uh, like one, like there's so many things, like I, I just laid my eyes on one, it says, it is not so important to love all men today as it is that each day you learn to love one more human, <clears throat> one more human being. It's like there's, there's these, yeah. When I read that, it was like, yeah. oh, I'm not bad and wrong. I don't love everybody. You know, it's just to try to love one more person, you know. If that's the best yeah. I can do, I'm cool, you know. Right. So I don't have to yeah. beat myself up for not seeing this super duper loving everybody person. You know, I could just let me let me work on this employee. I'm gonna work on my employee. I'm gonna see if I can love him a little more today. You know, so it's exactly. just full of a lot of practical. You know, it's just filled with practical knowledge and insights that help us through this. Well, Thomas, you know, it was it was your it was the the place. It was when your heart opened speaking about the book that my heart saw that. And when I saw that, it's, it's that thing of um, truth recognizing truth. And so that is what had me open the book ultimately. And, and it's a work that um, I can see people really – it's almost like you almost have to be ready for the work. <laughs> You almost have to be at a point where you can be open enough to go in and see what is there and let the information land in you, for, like in a, a place in, in your heart. Um, mm-hmm. But what I want to ask you is, you know, um, even having the desire to um, go through the information I do see why there's groups that form and study this together, and I do see why you, mm-hmm. it's important to have pe- people who really um, have been with the with the papers for a long time to um, act as guides through some of the material. Um, mm-hmm. And can you tell the the readers a little bit about um, how they can find receive the book? Um, 
where they can possibly find groups who are studying the book, and also can I get you to commit to some more shows with me? <laughs> you bet. <laughs> okay, because yeah. I just I'll I'll just be too frustrated to know that we just only got to put like our pinky toe in today. <laughs> well, next time we'll get into some more details. We kind of got the overview out of the way, so we'll get into some more uh, details next time. As far as as, far okay. as getting the book, it's it's very it's very available. You can order it from any of the websites like um, Urantia dot org, Book dot org, and Urantia is U R A N T I A. Uh, Truthbook dot com is a wonderful site for all kinds of information. Um, I, I always suggest people get the get the quote of the day. Go to Truthbook dot com, sign up for the quote of the day, get a beautiful picture. And a quote out of the ranch book in your email every day. That's, I've been doing that for 20 years, I think. It's just wonderful. And, um, okay. yeah, you can order a book on Amazon or anywhere you can get a book. It's it's, it's easy to get one. Um, they're, they're very very affordable, $15. And there's if you want to find a study group of people to study with, there's on the website, if you just do a search on study group directory, should be maybe three sites that um, – and you can type in your ranch, a study group directory, whatever, but you'll find listings all over the world of uh, study groups. And it's, it's quite easy to start one, too. Just get a couple of friends together and just uh, pick a night and open up the book and start reading. It's, uh, I've really enjoyed making friends over the years, studying the book with people. So it's been a very rewarding experience. Awesome. Yeah. And I'm hoping that if we um, can organize, you know, a series on this, that um, that this will act a little bit as a beginning study um, for people who have interest because, um, you know, it's kind of like taking it in small bites and kind of rolling it around in your mouth and <laughs> seeing you know, oh, yeah. what you can digest. Yeah. Well, and so how, well, uh, can people... Yeah, you can yeah you can go online and and just you know go to those sites like urantia.org and just click on the audio or you can print the whole book out even I mean it's it's so accessible now online. Um, and I, I would suggest and if people it, go ahead. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, and if, and if what, what I would suggest is just do a, a topical search, like look through the table of contents and say, oh, it talks about angels, or oh, it talks about Confucius, or oh, it talks about whatever, um, universe, mother, spirit, whatever it is, you know, just um, jump in and read it, read a little bit, and then kind of see, does this is this something that's interesting to me? Because um, I, I find the whole book interesting. I mean, the, the front part of the book's got more of the complex stuff, but you get into the history of our planet and it's it's all fascinating. The life of Jesus is beautifully written. It's just a beautiful portrayal of, of his life and teachings. So not to be missed. Yeah. Yes. I love that you um you say to to handle it that way because that's certainly how I've had to do it as well. So before we cut out, I guess the last thing is if anybody wants to contact you um directly, can you give us a way to do that? Uh, well, there's an email and a phone number. Email is my name, T-O-R-J-A-L-A, at gmail.com. And my phone number is 208-704-1985. Thank you so much yeah. for that. I, know, I trust that the universe will uh, use that in the best way to connect people to the work. And so... Thomas, thank you so much for the show today, and you and I will coordinate and hopefully um, get a couple more shows um, down the line scheduled so that we can can share the good news of this book. All right. I look forward to that. Thank you so much. It's been fun. Thanks so much. And <laughs> Yes, thank you. And um, we will be um, tuning in next Wednesday, Spiritual Charlotte. We're going to be having Jerry Hancock of Men in Balance, a national organization, on the show to talk about uh, men's lives and wellness and internal health and and, uh, the support that men need uh, to live well. Thanks Thanks for joining Spiritual Charlotte, and we'll see you next Wednesday.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.